Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Luke chapter 12, starting at verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich towards God. Well, we've uh, heard about the importance of uh, the Word of God and uh, listening to it. If you want to find a good church, it's got to be taught well. So I'm feeling the pressure and uh, we need God's help. So as we stand, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do pray that as we look at your Word, the Bible, we would indeed hear you speaking to us into the very depth of our being. We need you to do that uh, for we are sinful people who would naturally turn away from you. And so we ask you, please, in your great kindness, to speak to us through your word now, in Jesus' name. Amen. I, uh, I met someone here last week at the uh, Gospel Choir service. They'd been invited uh, by a friend to that service. And it reminded me last week of a few years back when I invited a friend along to church And I said to him something like this. I said, we're having a special service at church and I wonder if you'd come along as my guest. And he replied, me in church, I wouldn't be seen dead in church. Now we knew each other well enough for me to be able to say to him, well, there is a good chance that you will be when you are. Uh, Well, you know, that's not the sort of thing you normally say to people. Death is one of those great taboo subjects, but because it gets us all in the end, it's crucial that we give it some serious thought. And that's why our Bible reading this evening is relevant to us all. And before we look at it, let me ask you this. Who do you most aspire to be like? Who is it that you look up to? If you're into the celebrity culture, perhaps it's a royalty or a a sports personality or a Hollywood film star uh, that you'd really like to be like. The sort of person that's featured in in OK or or Hello magazine. Oh, I need to tell you, this isn't mine. I, I borrowed this from Peter earlier um if the celebrity culture doesn't do anything for you and maybe more realistically perhaps it's someone that you look up to and think i'd i'd love to be in their shoes they've got life sorted maybe just a a regular person around you that you really admire i can think of a couple of families i know i i look at them and they seem to have life worked out i'd like to be like them i'd like our family to be like them nothing wrong with our family by the way girls What about you? Who is it that you'd like to be like? Now, with that question in mind, turn with me again to the Bible passage that Emma read for us just now. Luke chapter 12, verses uh, 13 to 21, page 1045. 
Because here, you see, we meet a man who I reckon many of us would like to be like. I've called him Sir Cecil Barnes. Jesus introduces us to him to, to, him, to us in verse 16 as he t- tells this parable. See, Jesus said, verse 16, the ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I'll store all my grain and my goods. It's uh, harvest time. Uh, We were celebrating harvest uh, at uh, the morning service earlier today. Well, it's harvest time in the story. And Jesus tells the story of a very successful farmer. He's a real entrepreneur. He's a guy who's spotted an opportunity to make a fortune and he's grabbed it with both hands. He's so successful, he features in the New Year's Honours list. He's knighted by Her Majesty. And because he built bigger barns, I've called him Sir Cecil Barnes. So it's harvest time and Sir Cecil gets a better harvest than he expected, a bumper crop. In business terms, his business has outperformed all the other competitors. He's taken his idea into the dragon's den and all the dragons had offered him all the money he asked for for a very small stake in his company and in no time he's made a fortune. And so before he knew it, he'd reached the point that most people only dream of, total financial security. He's on a par with the London-based Ukrainian-born Len Blavatnik. He owns Warner Music Group and has an estimated fortune of over £13 billion. Can you imagine being that rich? I don't know why I'm looking up at the students. They can't imagine it. (laughs) Sir Cecil Barnes is that rich. Having planned and worked hard, the time arrives when, verse 19, he said to himself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink and be merry. He takes early retirement. With not a financial worry in the world, even another banking collapse wouldn't trouble him. He has never the need to work ever again. He's made it. He's retired before he's 50. In OK magazine, there's a picture of him standing outside his mansion next to his Aston Martin DB7. Under the picture, it reads, Sir Cecil Barnes, who retired this week, saying, I'm going to take life easy. I'm going to eat, drink and be merry. That's verse 19. Now, I don't know about you, but but as I look at him... I think I'd like to be him and like him. And that's what makes the first line of verse 20 so devastating. God, his creator, says to Sir Cecil, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. He's at his retirement party. The last guests have just left. It's been a marvellous evening. Everyone congratulating him on such a brilliant career. And when his wife retires to bed, he says, I'll be up in a moment, my love. But he first, he wanders into the drawing room. The congratulations from friends and colleagues still ringing in his ears. And there are holiday brochures on the coffee table, safaris and cruises and skiing trips. But the brochure that catches his eye is the brochure for the Bentley that he'll be taking delivery of on Monday morning. And he picks it up and he says to himself, you've done it. You've retired early. You've plenty laid up for yourself for years and years and years. Now, Cess, take it easy, my son. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and, and suddenly there's a searing pain in his chest and he's dead before he hits the floor. That's verses 19 and 20. I'll say to myself, you've plenty of things laid up for years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, 
This very night your life will be demanded from you. So they hold a memorial service for him and other big shots from the city say what a brilliant entrepreneur he was. And his obituary in the Times says what a shrewd investor he was. And God will say what a fool he was. That's the shock. Just two words from God. Verse 20, you fool. And so here's the question. Do you still want to be like Sir Cecil Barnes now? Look, it's a story, but it's not a fairy story. I've taken funerals of men like this. I'll never forget the words of a tearful widow as she said to me, he worked all his life for his dream retirement cottage. And she said that because he was just a couple of days away from retiring and they'd even booked the removal van. And this is not just for those nearing retirement. Desperately, death is no respecter of age. So once again in the news this week, we've heard of the tragic death of nine people gunned down in Oregon, one minute in a lecture, the next in the presence of God. And then only yesterday, a bus crashing into a Sainsbury's store in Coventry, killing an eight-year-old boy and a woman in her 70s. It can happen that quickly. It happened that quickly for my dad five years ago. He and mum had spent a a wonderful week with us here in Sheffield uh, and uh, dad was uh, talking to me about the plans he had to celebrate their 60th wedding anniversary. He hadn't told my mum about it. It was nine months away. Two days later, I got a telephone call in the middle of the night from my brother. My brother was calling from the hospital to say my dad had died. That's what happens in this story. For Sir Cecil, he had everything he ever wanted, but now he's dead. And the money? Where did all his wealth go? That's the question at the end of verse 20. Do you see it there? Well, who knows? It may have gone to a son who was a worthless fellow, blew it all on drink and gambling and broke his mother's heart in the, in the process. So the, mother, the money's gone. And desperately, so has what really matters gone. Now, Jesus tells this story to demonstrate that when it came to eternity, this man was poverty-stricken. Well, he's one of the most, most wealthy men you know, but he's poverty-stricken. He's lost everything in this life and the next. Jesus told this story to make us stop and think. And Jesus told this story to lovingly warn us not to make the same mistake. So what was Sir Cecil Barnes' fatal mistake? Well, first, he lived for himself. By that, I don't mean he was a thoroughly obnoxious man. In fact, we don't know what he was like. Jesus doesn't tell us. We don't know whether he was a good husband or an adulterer. We don't know whether he was a good father or if he beat the children. We don't know if he paid his taxes or found some offshore loophole. We don't know. What we do know is that he wasn't rich towards God. That's the end of verse 21. And again, don't misunderstand this. I don't doubt for one moment that if you stopped Sir Cecil in the street and said, do you believe in God? I don't doubt that he'd have said, oh, yes, yes, I do. And I imagine he may have gone to church, especially at harvest time. But he wasn't rich towards God. He didn't live for God. He lived for himself. To all intents and purposes, he lived lived as if God didn't exist. Listen to the way he speaks as I read verses 17 and 18 again. Hear how these words are dominated by me, my, and I. 
Verse 17, he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you've plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink and be merry. You hear it? Me, my and I. He's totally wrapped up in himself. In many ways, he has everything. He had treasure, he had leisure and he had pleasure But even though he had all those things, he didn't give a second thought to the one who gave him all those things. It's all mine. As I mentioned already, uh, this morning here in church, we were celebrating harvest. It's a time when we give thanks to God for all the good things he's given us. And it's good that we do that. But if we're honest, it's not something we do often, thank God for everything he gives us. And I don't like it when people treat me like that, taking things from me but barely saying thank you. It's bad manners. And worse than that, Jesus says it's foolish because there is a God and one day I'm going to meet him. Uh, This week, uh, since Thursday and through till Tuesday, I've been helping in a church over in Utebridge, the other, well, 20 minutes away. It's not quite the other side of Sheffield, but 20 minutes away. Uh, They've had a, a series of special events On Thursday, I was at their playgroup and seeing the little ones there reminded me of when my children were growing up. And when Joshua, our youngest, was just a toddler, he loved playing the game of peekaboo. Now, most toddlers love playing peekaboo. The rules of the game are usually very simple. Someone hides and then someone else tries to find them. And on being found, everyone shouts, peekaboo. Joshua's rules were a little different. You see, 18-month-old Joshua didn't hide at all. He'd just stand in the middle of the room with his hands over his eyes, and I'd say, where's Joshua? And he'd giggle. Where's Joshua? More laughter from Joshua. I can't see Joshua. Where's Joshua gone? Uncontrollable whoops of laughter from Joshua in the middle of the room. Where is Joshua? I can't see Joshua anywhere. Side-splitting howls of laughter from Joshua. And then when he could stand it no longer, he'd whip his hands away and he'd say, peekaboo. It was very funny. Well, it was for me anyway. And it worked because Joshua thought when he closed his eyes, because he couldn't see us, we couldn't see him. It's silly, isn't it? But it's great fun because he was only a little boy. What isn't so amusing is how, how adults play peekaboo with God, thinking that because they can't see him, he can't see them. That's why Sir Cecil Barnes was such a fool, living for himself, not rich towards God. I'm 53 this year, I I, I can't believe it. I know you can believe it because I definitely look 53, but I can't believe it because it only seemed five minutes ago that I was leaving school and had the whole of my life ahead of me. Life passes by so quickly. Sooner or later, we find ourselves standing before God. And Jesus says, before death grabs you, Be sure you're rich towards God. And if you're asking me what does it mean to be rich towards God, and that is the million dollar question here, if you're asking me what does it mean to be rich towards God, look back to verse 13. See, someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Here's why Jesus told the parable. Someone was squabbling with his brother about his inheritance. You can just imagine it. Granny's died and they're arguing over the clock and the sideboard. And verse 15, Jesus said, Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. 
Do you hear it there? Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. I was thinking about this 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 week. Over the years, I've had many people walk into my study and talk to me about all sorts of things, all manner of things that they know they shouldn't have done, that they want to get off their chest, they want to confess. But I was thinking this week, as far as I can remember, no one has ever come to see me to confess that they were greedy. We tend not to think of ourselves as greedy. I mean, if I was to call you greedy, you'd be really offended. So, because we don't think of ourselves as greedy, let me ask you this question. What do you daydream about? You know, when your mind wanders, what do you think about? I hope it's not happening now, of course, because this is the sermon. But as you are thinking about that, let me welcome the new students here again. It's lovely to have you here. It's really wonderful. We're so pleased you've come and joined us. Let me ask you, when you think about uni and what uni will lead to, do you think about a great job with a substantial salary and all the trappings that it will bring, you know, all the options that will be open before you and all the things you can have and enjoy? Is that what you think about as a student? Well, I imagine you do it from time to time. And all of us here, not just the students, who doesn't find themselves thinking about acquiring stuff? If you're into fashion, it's wanting more clothes and accessories. If you're into gadgets, it's wanting the latest phone or Apple Watch. If you're into sport, you'll think about a better bike or some other bit of kit. Look, these daydreams, this wanting more and more, is greed. All of us here have plenty of stuff. Clothes to wear, food to eat, homes to go to. We don't need any more. We're so like successful barns. We buy bigger houses to keep all our stuff in. We want more and more stuff, thinking that stuff will satisfy us. The truth is, only God will satisfy us. And so what we're doing is we're exchanging God for stuff. And that makes us spiritually poor, not rich towards God. But, verse 15, Jesus says, a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. See, if we really believed this, how it would change some of the biggest decisions we make in life. We take on jobs that make us busy and stressed up to our eyeballs because we think our life will be richer if we have more money to buy more stuff. Oh, there'll be other reasons why you take the job. You know, you think it's a good good advancement for your career and all of that. I'm not saying that's not the only reason, but that's part of it, if we're honest. We buy bigger houses and have the burden of huge mortgages hanging round our necks that stop us from stepping out of stressful jobs when we can't cope. We keep buying stuff that we don't need, using money we don't have, thinking it will make us happy, and the credit card bill gets bigger and out of control and makes us miserable. If only we believed Jesus' words, it would change so many of the decisions we make day by day, and not least of all, some of the really big decisions we make. Jesus' words, verse 15, a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And so Jesus tells us the story of successful barns to give us real clarity of thought. Over the past years, I've spent time with a number of people who've been diagnosed with terminal illness. Kind of spent time week after week, month after month with them as the time draws nearer for them to die. A number of those people have been very wealthy people. And a number of them have said to me that being terminally ill has brought them real clarity of thought. 
Death does that. It brings into sharp relief what really matters. That's why Jesus told this story. Out of kindness to us, he said, if you can put yourself in the place of successful, you'll begin to think clearly. So as we draw to a close this evening, what are we going to do with all of this? Many of us here this evening, and I believe many who are committed Christians, will know that stuff has become far too important to us. This evening, we've realised that stuff is more important to us than it should be. More important than God. And so for some, it would be very good to think about making some very serious decisions. Radically downsizing. Moving house, getting a smaller mortgage, or getting yourself mortgage-free so that you can change your lifestyle. Get a less stressful job. Give more time to the family or in Christian service or whatever it is. Now look, if that's making sense to you right now, I want to acknowledge that would be a huge move to make. But let me encourage you to talk to someone about it. I think it would be a very courageous thing to do if that's where you need to go. But why not do it? Let me say to students and those of you setting out on life, tonight, because of what you heard, be determined never to get yourself into the situation where acquiring more and more stuff is what drives you and controls you. It sneaks up on you very quickly. And if you don't determine it now, it will overwhelm you. But most importantly of all, this is a story about being rich towards God. That's the punchline of verse 21, do you see? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich towards God. And to be rich towards God, we need Jesus Christ. Because we have taken all the good things God gives us and barely given him a second thought. And because God is so often a second thought and regularly not even that, we're in a very precarious state. But Jesus lived a life that never ignored God. He he never put himself first. He was always rich towards God. And when he died on a cross, he said these words, it is finished. You can read about it later on in Luke's Gospel. In the original language, it's only one word and it means paid. The price is paid. It's the word that would be stamped on an account when it was settled years ago. You'd take your account in, they'd get a rubber stamp out and they'd put paid on it, paid in full. See, Jesus wasn't in debt to God, but on the cross he paid a debt, the debt that you and I owe. The debt that you and I couldn't pay. The debt of taking from God, but not giving any notice of, not taking any notice of him. And so turning to Jesus and following him is how we become rich towards God. So let me ask you this evening, are you ready to meet your maker? Are you sure that if God said these words, not to Cecil, but to you, if God demanded your life from you tonight, are you sure that he wouldn't say, you fool, you're not rich towards me? And if you're not sure of that, but you'd like to be, you'd like to be sure that God would say, not you fool, but well done. Or if you know you're not rich towards God and you want to start following Jesus, then I'm going to pray a prayer right now to get you started with Jesus, if that's what you'd like to do. Before I pray it, I'm going to read it out to you so that if you think, yeah, I want to start with Jesus seriously tonight, 
I'm going to pray it. I'm going to read it out before I pray it so you know what I'm going to pray. And you can listen in to think, do I want to pray that? This is how the prayer is going to go. Dear Heavenly Father, I'm sorry that I've made other things more important than you. Tonight I can see how foolish that is. Thank you that Jesus lived a perfect life, always putting you first. Thank you that Jesus died to pay the debt in my life. I turn to Jesus now and ask for your forgiveness. Help me from now on to put you first. Amen. That's how the prayer is going to go. And if you want to pray that now, in a moment as I pray it, then I'll pray it line by line, and you can pray it in your mind, and God will hear you. And I suggest that as you do that, you think of something that God has been helping you to see is more important than it should be. And you can be thinking, I'm putting that aside and I'm putting God first. So let's pray. And here's the prayer if you want to pray along with me. You echo it line by line in your mind now. Dear Heavenly Father, I'm sorry that I've made other things more important than you. Tonight I can see how foolish that is. Thank you that Jesus lived a perfect life, always putting you first. Thank you that Jesus died to pay the debt in my life. I turn to Jesus now and ask for your forgiveness. Help me from now on to put you first. Amen.